when we look at success rates on the site, if you're at the point where you're you're borrowing on kiva.org slash lend and you're in food, you have a 97% chance of success of raising your crowdfunded loan. Welcome to the Food Startups Podcast. You just need the packaging to shout off the shelf. It's a different world when you actually think about adding value. But to be able to play now is definitely going to require some new thinking out there. Hang out with us and learn how to grow your food business. Hello and welcome to the Kiva episode, a.k.a. Get interest-free loans for your small food business, but we go into so many topics, and it's going to be really cool, especially for my editor, Sebastian, uh, who I don't give enough credit to, because we have three different guests, and all separate interviews, and we've mixed them into one. So we have Adam from Kiva, who is the main guest, and then we have two different food businesses, one in the middle and one at the end of the show that will talk about their experience taking a Kiva loan. Well, yeah, so much to learn, so much to hear. Please enjoy this show. He is a product person and marketer, passionate about using technology to make an impact and improvement on people's lives. It fits in very well with what he's currently doing as the U.S. Digital Marketing Manager at Kiva.org. Now, if you're not familiar with Kiva, I'm going to give you a brief background. Kiva is a microfinance platform based on Nobel Prize winning Mohammed Junis' concept of Grameen Bank in Bangladesh. But giving affordable access to capital and microfinance and loans to people that usually would not have that type of access. And Kiva makes interest-free loans aimed at alleviating poverty. They've loaned over $900 million with over a million borrowers and over a million lenders, one of them being yours truly. Our company loves giving Kiva loans in Colombia and Peru, and they are in over 82 countries. It's definitely my favorite charity. I was so happy that to get connected with them. And uh, if you ever see smile.amazon.com, I'm sure everyone here is an Amazon shopper, right? Because who isn't? And that's a partnership between Kiva and Amazon. Okay, so his core strengths, he's user-driven. He loves data, a cross-functional communicator. He can switch context, meaning he can balance multiple projects at the same time while keeping up with deadlines. He also worked at Credit Karma, where he ran two scrum teams focused primarily on product and marketing priorities. And prior to that, he was a Peace Corps volunteer in Albania, and he's still on the board of Friends of Albania. Adam Kirk, thanks so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm excited to be speaking with you. Yeah, man. Dude, I love Kiva. It's, it's so cool to have this come to reality. Now, really quick, what is a scrum team? So a scrum team is part of um, the agile theory of product development or the agile method where you have teams are, that are made up of designers, of software engineers, front-end, back-end, quality, QA, um, and product, and they all work together towards a common cause. So you would work on specific areas of a website or of a piece of software, and you work in kind of that methodology. So the, I guess the meaning is from Scrum, from rugby, 
So a lot of people working together to move the ball forward. That's kind of the idea. So you have smaller teams that are more agile than other methods of uh, product development, if that makes sense. It does. And yeah, Scrum, I just thought rugby. And who developed this concept? Do you have to go to like a Scrum trained school? Is there a book on it? How do you learn about the Scrum philosophy? So I learned kind of via trial by fire. It was essentially the the company took on um, Scrum as the primary method of product development. And product managers were kind of given a quick training on it. Uh, But as you do it, there are tons of resources online. There are books written about it lots of documentation so you can learn kind of best practices Uh, but it's not one specific way there are a lot of ways to be a successful scrum Uh, but that that's kind of how we did it was trial and error Um, and i i did that for a couple years so you you get really good at it and you figure out you know how your team works best as a scrum and how it doesn't and you can fix how it doesn't to improve it amazing cool so adam let's move to to Albania. Sure. So was this like a right out of college move? Um, I mean, where did you go to college and how did you end up in Albania? Sure. So that is actually a pretty, a pretty direct story for me. Um, I went to um, college at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver and my senior year, I was back home in Washington state and I was talking to a friend who told me about this program called Masters International. And what Masters International is, is a way for you to get Peace Corps experience and a master's degree at the same time. So essentially a four-year program. And in undergrad, I was really interested in international development. And the main challenge with working in international development is to get a job you need experience. And to get experience, you need a job. So it's kind of catch-22. So what I saw was that I could get my master's degree and get experience to be able to work in international development. So from the end of grad or from the end of undergrad, I applied for uh, grad school at Monterey Institute of International Studies, now the Middlebury Institute of International Studies uh, for an MBA combined with two years of Peace Corps service. So over that time, I was able to figure out whether or not um, development was right for me. And uh, at the time when you apply for Peace Corps, you can tell them a region you want to go and they put you in a country in that region. And I told them I wanted to go to Eastern Europe and they kind of took my skill set with what countries were asking for and placed me in Albania. So that's how I ended up there. That's so cool. And so Adam, it seems like you uh, only will study in picturesque cities like Vancouver and Monterey. <laughs> I like that as a, uh, a policy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a, a pretty hard rule for me. <laughs> um, and now you're living in San Francisco, right? Uh, I'm actually in Oakland now. I work in San Francisco. Um, when I first moved to the Bay Area at the end of 2012, I moved into the mission in San Francisco, home of America's best burrito. And earlier this year, I moved over to Oakland. So still very close to the city, just across the Bay where it's a little bit more sunny. And in mission, what are the uh, the rent prices go for now? Oh, man. It's, it's expensive. It's uh, one of the fastest increasing neighborhoods in terms of price and rent in the country. It's, it's a lot. It's, uh, it's an issue. It's, it's actually creating a lot of friction in the neighborhood, but it, it's definitely more affordable for me to not be living there. We'll put it that way. Gotcha. Um, okay. So, so you, you get out to Albania, right? Um, so tell us about Albania. What is it like? You know, I, 
I've answered this question so many times and I have a really tough time figuring out where to start because I, I could talk for hours about this and I, I want to always figure out the way the way to not to not bore somebody. Yeah. Oh, well, OK. Let me uh, be a little bit more specific, right? OK, sure. Sure. So I'm going to re- you know, rephrase that question. So, Adam, you have I'm going to time you. You have 60 seconds to give someone like I mentioned before the show who unfortunately only has a reference point from the movies like taken about Albania, which is not a fair way to depict the country, right? But I, I essentially know nothing. So you have 60 seconds to communicate Albania to me. And the goal is to, to um, have like the maximum amount of retention on my side or to, to, to map out the country. So okay. uh, go ahead and, and explain it to me. Albania is about the size of Maryland and it looks like New Jersey. And even though it's small, it might take you 12 to 20 hours to navigate from top to bottom. It is a crazy mountainous country, also has gorgeous beaches, beautiful rivers, some forest, amazing hiking, amazing swimming, amazing food, amazing people, also huge challenges. It was a isolationist country for about 50 years, and it emerged as a democratic country in the early 90s, so it's had its fair share of problems, still fairly corrupt in the government, unfortunately. So working there is a challenge. However, the people are so open and so welcoming, even to even to foreigners and people that stick out like me. It's a, it's a great place to visit and be a part of. The two years there were extremely challenging for me and also extremely rewarding. And I tell anybody I talk to to go check out Albania before before they get over it. I don't know. Before it's less of an adventure, it's kind of like the the Cuba issue where everybody wants to go to Cuba now before it blows up too much. But when it's still more more traditional, more real, and not touristy, so that's that's how I feel about it. And you can get direct flights there from like London or uh... Uh, yeah, yeah, you can fly from London, Germany, Italy to their capital, Tirana, and from there, you know, you drive. Like if you rent a car, you can get pretty much anywhere in the country in a few hours. However, if you're on transit, it's definitely going to take longer than that. Gotcha. And you mentioned the 12 to 20 hours to like go around a country the size of Maryland. Is that because a lot of like one lane mountain roads? Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely getting better. They're building a lot more highway systems. But yeah, there are a lot of windy roads, a lot of narrow roads. And especially if you're on a bus, you're not going to be traveling that fast. Um, There's one pass you go over in the south that is so windy and so steep. I'm, I'm afraid for any bus that's on that road. Oh man, this is like, so in Colombia, it's very similar, right? A lot of mountain roads and they're like, oh, it's only a hundred miles or 160 kilometers. And someone that hasn't been around here, oh yeah, that should be like three hours or like two hours. Like, nah, man, that's <laughs> like six hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's funny. So I think that's kind of a, something in common with Colombia and Albania. So so awesome time there. And what type of work did you do there? Uh, so I worked in a sector called community and organizational development. And what that means is they pair uh, Peace Corps volunteers with either local government organizations or nonprofits to help those organizations or government units be more effective. Uh, for me, I was placed in a local municipality in a town called Peshkopi, which was kind of a, a rural capital Um, in uh, one of the farther away districts in the country. And what I did was kind of several projects for them. Probably the most exciting thing I was able to work on was 
uh, a project to open a tourism office in the town to promote like, regional tourism and give information to tourists about uh, local sites. I also worked in as what we call the county government in the U.S. or maybe even state government but for the district. And I help them understand project planning, so how to define the right problem to solve and go about solving it. Because one, one thing uh, that happens a lot in Albania is people think very big without solving the small problems. So I try to help them figure out how you go from solving the small problems to being able to effectively address a big problem. Amazing. And so do you feel like you made progress in your in your two years? I asked that because uh, my aunt and uncle being uh, one of them, some people have gone to the Peace Corps with good intentions, but they were unable to make an impact. You know, that's, that's always a challenge. Uh, I think most Peace Corps volunteers go in with very big expectations of what they're able to accomplish. But what you realize is you're, you're there for two years, and two years is not a long time that, you know, you, you do have an impact. And I, I definitely know I did. However, when you look back on it, a lot of Peace Corps builds out you as the person. And I think it's more, more common to get more out of it than you, that you impact, if that's, if that's the way to say it. In that, you know, I know I helped a lot of people, but I know Peace Corps changed me fundamentally. And what that did is it motivated me to follow more of a path of service. And so when, whenever I take a job or whenever I, I'm working on a project or even within a job, I really think about, you know, what, what is the impact I'm having? How am I helping people? Is this, is this a selfish act? Is it a selfless act? And so I think that really drives who I am. So I think overall, Peace Corps allowed me to have a massive impact. However, that spread out throughout my entire life. So Adam, I got to say, so, you know, we first talked last week. And I, I sense that. I get that type of energy that in terms of the way you think about service. And I also notice that you're very pragmatic in what you're doing. And I, maybe that has to do with your experience in Albania, at least partly, in terms of understanding how to get things done. So congratulations on that. <laughs> Thank you. And, and Adam, okay, so so leaving Albania, I'm going to link to Peshkapi on the episode page. This will be foodstartupspodcast.com slash Kiva, K-I-V-A. All right, so let's talk a little bit about your day-to-day at Kiva. So, you know, when you guys reach out to me, why is Kiva in the U.S. and making U.S. loans, why are they focused on food? That's a great question. Uh, to give you a little bit of background, uh, Kiva started about 10 years ago, and the first loan was, I believe, in Uganda. And, you know, we've expanded to, you know, well over 80 countries, like you mentioned. And about five years ago, we created a new model called the direct model in which we wanted to see if we could facilitate loans via the crowd directly to the borrower. And we started that in the US. And what, the way we see it is that around the world there are you know, huge issues with poverty and, and Kiva is focused on poverty alleviation. So figuring out you know, how can we reach unreachable people? How can our model get to people that wouldn't be able to get the capital they need to improve their lives? So we work with partners on the ground around the world. In the US, the problem we're trying to solve is a little different. It's more about access to capital and economic empowerment. One stat that really bothers me is that every year in the US, about 3 million business loan applications are rejected. So tons of entrepreneurs are looking for money for their businesses, 
and they're just getting rejected. Like banks are very risk averse. Um, you have, you know, a lot of online lenders are rejecting, you know, 90, 99% of their applications. So you have this gap in funding where people either are not starting businesses or their businesses are floundering because they can't access what they need to grow. So that's where we come in. And for the last five years, we've supported several thousand entrepreneurs in the U.S. with small loans. So we're, we're still a microfinance company in the U.S. in that our loans are up to $10,000. But what we do is we facilitate peer-to-peer lending. So you think about us as a marketplace. It's a marketplace of entrepreneurs who are looking for money and lenders who are looking to lend money one-to-one. So we have a crowd of 1.5 million lenders around the world that is lending to people in the U.S. And these entrepreneurs are raising money from everything to jumpstart their business, to pay for inventory, to pay for working capital, to cover equipment costs, you know, you name it. And so we're, we're helping these businesses grow. One of the cool things is that with us, we kind of build the foundation for businesses or help build that foundation in that if you're a business that borrows from Kiva, not only do you get this capital when nobody else would give it to you, you can grow your business from there, but we also report all your repayments to one of the big credit bureaus in the U.S., Experian. So you're building your business credit score through a Kiva loan so that when you're done paying your loan, all of a sudden you're much more attractive to a more traditional lender so you're more likely to be approved for a loan. So that's that's how we're active is that we we want to give people a chance to really access what they need to grow their business. And we're kind of the first step in that process. I love that. And and Adam, I'm just going to explain to listeners who may not be familiar with how Kiva works. So making a Kiva loan, we'll just give you a hypothetical example. Jenny has a hot dog truck that she wants to launch and she needs $10,000 to, I don't know, maybe rent the truck, get the permits, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, they write up like a story and show a photo of her and about what she needs the money for. And you can donate as little as $25. So um, people like you and I can go to the site and say, hey, Jenny, she looks cool. Um, I like her mission. Donate $25. And that way you kind of source, you know, crowdfund this loan at a, uh, a zero interest payment. So that, that's really interesting. And, and I like how you say the first step. I want to continue this conversation and talk about the business tools you give to small businesses. But first, we are going to bring in a, uh, a successful project using a food loan, uh, you know, a U.S. Kiva crowdsourced $10,000 loan. And this is Keely. So I'm going to bring in Keely right now, and she's going to talk about her rooftop farm in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. So... Listeners, we are bringing in a participant, a successful participant of the Kiva Loans U.S. program. We have Keely Gerhold. Hi. How's it going, Keely? Great. How are you? Uh, she is the co-founder and farmer at Tiny Field Rooftop Farm uh, in Brooklyn in Bed-Stuy, where they are farming microgreens, salad greens, hops, anything else? Um, some flowers and... Um, doing a few small workshops and things like that up here to um, promote a more of a community-based farming uh, here in Brooklyn. And how long have you been in business? We um, started last season building our greenhouse and um, had our first season of hops up here on the roof in 2015. 
And then this season is our first full season um, in production with our greenhouse, our salad green beds, and our hops. Amazing. And so let's talk about the the Kiva loan. So can you tell us when and what was your company situation like when you reached out to apply for a Kiva loan? Right. So my co-founder, Katrina, and I, we um, just sort of had this inception of Tiny Field um, as a very small space where we could sort of continue to build it um, as we gained capital because farming and starting a farm is a very capital-intensive project. Um, So we thought that we would start with our greenhouse and be able to move towards growing year round in this space on this roof. And so once we identified our location here and it's a former pharmaceutical factory. So it has a lot of existing infrastructure on the roof and it's really weird. So it works really well for us to grow hops because we just trellised ropes up to some balconies and things like that. Um, And then we uh, built the greenhouse throughout the season last year. And so we just weren't sure how we were going to fund that based on how expensive um, nice greenhouses are. So we looked into a few options and we're taking some business classes and things through NYC Business Solutions and we're connected with Kiva that way um, and sort of introduced to crowd lending. And we thought that that would be a great first option for us because we wanted to know like the set dollar amount that we were going to use to build the greenhouse and just sort of start the business and then look into more crowdfunding options later for growing the business. So Kiva came along at a really great time for us because the amount of funding available um, once we reached it was going to help us actually get this started. Amazing. And from the time you said, okay, we're going to do Kiva to uh, let's say the, the, the day that it got to your bank account, how long did that take? I don't even, I don't even remember really. Um, just a couple of months. It wasn't too long. We signed our lease in April of 2015 and then, um, the greenhouse came to us probably in June. So we really started moving quickly once we had our space identified and worked with Kiva in the winter. So I know that we were looking at the funding option before we exactly had our space identified. So it was sort of like once that all that sort of fell into place roughly around the same time. And it wasn't too long before we got the money and then purchased um, the greenhouse probably in May of 2014 or 2015, I'm guessing. Gotcha. And so a $10,000 interest-free loan, plus there was around 200, I think 202 people participated. So that also helps right. build a community of, of fans yeah. um, and, and, and customers of the, of the rooftop farm. Yeah, it was crazy to see people from all over the world giving to our project. Um, it wasn't just our friends and family that we sort of conned into giving <laughs> us money right away so that we could um, start to be on the global site so everybody could see our project. And we already felt like we had friends and family who really believed in us. And so it was very humbling to then see people who didn't know us give money to us because they believed in the project as well. So that was a nice, you know, motivator. And um, it also, like you said, the community, you really feel like you have people who are behind you and then therefore you're accountable to them. So with crowd lending, you're going to give them that money back and it's, it's taking time, you know, it's a, it's a small business and it's a, definitely takes time to build. And so just knowing that people are excited about updates and 
you know, they get that money every month. So they're reminded that you're working to like give them their, their money back that they gave you because they believe in you is pretty awesome. Amazing. And going forward, do you plan on doing an additional fundraising for your company? Um, not at the moment. Last year, last winter, we did a small Indiegogo, um, crowdfunding campaign. And so I feel like we're pretty tapped out at this point. Um, but we're doing pretty well just based on selling produce and really small business. So at the moment, that's sort of like where we're at in the next season, hopefully, hopefully being able to build, you know, more beds and put a little bit more money into the outlay of the space and be able to grow more food. Amazing. So, so between, you know, the, the Indiegogo and, and Kiva, uh, you've, you guys are rocking and rolling and, and uh, slowly growing the company. <laughs> slowly growing, yes. Slowly is the keyword. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm in the food business as well. I, I understand. Um, well, well, listen, Keely, thank you so much for sharing your experience with Kiva and telling us about your company. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, we did a little spotlight on us last year for the Kiva US launch, um, a little video. And so I know that's floating around somewhere online if you wanted to take a peek at what it looks like up here on this crazy pharmaceutical rooftop. <laughs> and listeners, yeah, on foodstartupspodcast.com slash Kiva, where the episode will be, we'll link to the Tiny Fields website, the Indiegogo campaign, and the Kiva crowdfunding campaign, so you can see everything here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Amazing example right there with Keely. What a cool business. Yeah, and we talked about this before the show. It'd be cool if we can meet up at her rooftop farm in Brooklyn next spring. But uh, Adam, before we continue the journey of you know, raising capital, why is Kiva focused on food and agriculture? So that part, that part is a really key part. Um, I can say that about a third of all the loans we funded have gone to food entrepreneurs. And the reason why this is the case is twofold. Um, the first part of it is that our lenders love lending to farmers and food producers. When we look at success rates on the site, if you're at the point where you're, you're borrowing on kiva.org slash lend and you're in food, you have a 97% chance of success of raising your crowdfunded loan. So our lenders love people in the food business. And what we've seen is that people in the food business are very likely to repay their loan. So one of the challenges with Kiva is that we're lending to a lot of people who have been turned down by other sources of capital. So think banks, community organizations, online lenders, because these people are deemed as quote unquote too risky. We don't believe they're too risky and we want to give them a chance, uh, but we still have to make sure that we have a good repayment rate, that we're able to get our lenders their money back so that they can relend to other entrepreneurs. So with food, it's an amazing combination in that we love supporting their businesses and they are very likely to repay, which means we're able to get our crowd to relend to new businesses. And Adam, what is the average repayment rate? Uh, I'll say for Kiva US and for food, if you have any of those numbers at hand. I think food is well over 90%. I'd say it's about 94%. And Kiva, Kiva Worldwide is about 97%. Okay, great. All right. So as we talked about with Keeley, and, and just food in general, listeners, no surprise here, food is very capital intensive. So let's say I'm able to get a Kiva US loan and, you know, jumpstart my business, things are going well, and I need more money. 
So Adam, what are some of the options if I don't want to like a high interest loan, but still, um, as you know, it takes two years just to have a, a traditional bank and nothing against traditional banks, but they wait for two years before you're even eligible to apply for a regular loan, right? So let's just say uh, it's been a year and three months since I've been in business and I need maybe thirty to $50,000 now. What are some of my options? At that point, it's, it is very difficult because you're, you're looking for a large amount of money and a lot of people are going to deem your business too risky because you're just not an old enough business. So one, one easy starting point is with Kiva and you could potentially get up to 10K of that 20 to 30 you're looking for. Um, at that point, you can look to what we call community development financial institutions. These are most of the time local or regional organizations that combine loans with coaching. So one example of an organization in the Bay Area is called Urban Solutions or the, the Mission Economic Development Agency or META, M-E-D-A. And these organizations work with entrepreneurs who, who need a little bit of support with their business plan or with marketing or, or some sort of business skill as well as financing. And their loans are typically lower interest rates than other institutions that lend at that business stage. So thinking like five to 10% interest versus 20, 30 and even more. Um, th those are fairly good options for loans themselves. Kiva obviously is a great option for a loan because you're not paying any interest. Um, the other side of it is regular crowdfunding. So thinking about Kickstarter or Indiegogo, a lot of new businesses are using those sources to raise money for their businesses. What a lot of people don't understand, though, is that in order to succeed on something like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, you not only need a strong network, but you need to make raising that money essentially a second job. It's going to take a lot of time and effort to do it. In fact, we have plenty of businesses that fundraise on Kiva that also raise 20000 30000 on Kickstarter. So they're able to do that as an option. That allows you to get some capital into your business and grow. Other options are definitely higher interest rates, um, but you're able to get capital faster. So one example is like Square Capital. Square will take a percentage of your daily sales as a way to pay off financing that they provide. So it's an easy way to get financing quickly. However, the interest rate is generally going to be much higher. Um, so if you're willing to pay that, it's an option. Uh, but essentially, like you, you, as a young business and you're trying to raise money, if you're not getting it from your friends, your family, other people who want to help you, you know, you have to be pretty scrappy. You have to kind of blend different ways of raising capital to get to the point where um, more traditional institutions are willing to lend to you. Okay, great answer. And I'm going to follow up on two things. One is Namikube. They were on our podcast, and it's Lisa, and this is like the sous vide cooking. She raised $1.3 on Kickstarter. So those who are looking for crowdfunding tips, and Adam, you mentioned it. It is a second job, but at foodstarvespodcast.com slash N-O-M-I-K-U, and I'll link to this again on the show notes at foodstarvespodcast.com slash Kiva. She has some great tips for crowdsourcing or crowdfunding. I guess the question for you, Adam, I always thought – that you mentioned like Meta, Urban Solutions, et cetera. Um, in terms of getting lower interest loans, if you have a social impact to your business despite being young, but let's say you do have some cash in the bank, how do you use that to increase your chances of, of getting like a line of credit or, um, or outstanding loan? I think those work to your advantage in that there are organizations that would rather lend to those types of businesses. So there are 
um, say, local CDFIs, the community development financial institutions, that are going to say, oh, wow, like we would much rather work with uh, socially impactful businesses. That's kind of part of their mission. So part of it is is honestly research, like looking at who are the types of financiers and who do they care about. Banks, more often than not, are going to care about, is this business solvent? Are they going to repay their loan? And look less about what your business is doing and more about your financials. Whereas a CDFI might care more about social impact. Uh, I think the fact that you have money in the bank is also a good sign because that tells you know, any lender that, look, you know, they have some collateral to work with, they can already start paying their loan off. So it shows that you're less risky. When it comes to Kiva, we love lending to social entrepreneurs. Our lender network loves lending to socially impactful businesses. So one good example is a business called Prison Bars, who hires formerly incarcerated individuals and gives them kind of a second chance and gives them meaningful work. So if you're a social entrepreneur, um, you're more likely to qualify for a higher loan amount based on the fact that you are socially conscious as a business. And is this uh, prison bars like the prison-bars.com? Yes. Okay, really cool. I uh, can't wait to check that out. Okay, cool. Well, so Adam, I uh, I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Uh, I want to finish off here though. So listeners that are looking to get started with a Kiva loan perhaps, what are the first steps they they should take? So one of the first steps is just checking out our website. You can go to borrow.kiva.org. You can start a loan application there. You will be connected with one of our team members who will walk you through the process, answer any questions. Um, I'm also open. Anybody can email me. I'm willing to chat with them about Kiva. Um, They can reach me at adamk at kiva.org. Our site has a lot of information. You can also go to kiva.org slash lend and kind of browse currently fundraising loans. You can see who's fundraising in the U.S. by different industries. So food entrepreneurs, for example, can look at all the food loans that are fundraising. And you can find people like you. I mean, more often than not, there are businesses out there who are similar to other people's businesses. And you can find those on Kiva to say, okay, well, you know, I need working capital for my business. Is there anybody else that is that has my type of business that has raised money for working capital? or for equipment or any of that. So you can really see, you know, the stories of different businesses and and see that you can do it too. I think that's one of the cool things about Kiva is that it's this nice community. You can see people that have done it and you can, you know, feel confident that you can do it too. And and just like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, the cool thing too, when you crowdfund, as opposed to just Adam uh, give me a loan of $10,000. If you have 200 different borrowers that give a $25 loan, you're already starting to build your network as you go for the future. Absolutely. So that, that's really cool as well. And Adam, yeah, I uh, as I mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of Kiva. I love the concept. And I just want to say like uh, Muhammad Junis's book, uh, I guess he has two, but I'll, I'll link to the first one I read of his, really changed my life. And it made me think about charity. Like I don't think so much anymore. And this is a general statement. There's plenty of exceptions here, but just sending people out like Adam and myself to a third world country and giving like a lecture on like, here's how you should do this and this. And listen, I'm not saying that there's no value there, but I think it's way more powerful understanding that if someone can live like, and this is more outside of the U S but if someone can live on a dollar a day, they have some entrepreneurial skills just to survive and just in saying, Hey, uh, what can you do? Like, incentivize and put some responsibility out there. What can you do right now that we can maybe get you five or $600 together to improve your life? So to me, that was just a really powerful shift 
in the way I think of like service and, and giving back to the world. So I just want to thank Kiva in general for that. Yeah, thanks. It's a it's a great organization to work for. I mean, sometimes you get stuck in the day to day, but when you take a step back and look at, you know, over the million people that you've impacted or that the organization, the model that the lender network has impacted over the last 10 years is just astounding. And it's it makes me a true believer in what microfinance can accomplish. Yeah, and I think it's just a great milestone, right? So it's like 924 million. When is uh, is there going to be like a party when Kiva gets to a billion dollars of loans? Oh, I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, hey, man, Adam, a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. It was really great chatting with you. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing how we can help more food entrepreneurs. It's not over yet. As I mentioned in the beginning, we are going to talk with a second successful Kiva Ziploan startup, Elixir Kombucha. Here we go. And to have another Kiva loan success story, we have Corey Wood from Elixir Kombucha. Corey, how's it going? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Corey, uh, I have to say I love your design and packaging. Um, How did you get that done? Who did it for you? Okay, so we're here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, There's a guy named David Nichols. He does a lot of stuff around town as far as like whenever there's an event that requires trophies or just handmade anything, he, he, uh, is kind of the go-to guy. So he was a friend of a friend and we just got to talking with him one day over a beer about what our plans were for this kombucha company. He was really into the idea and we just kind of started shooting ideas back and forth. It was super organic. The whole back and forth with making the label design, it, it just happens really easily. And, um, we're really thankful to have met the guy. So David Nichols, NicholsIndustrial.com. Yeah. And listeners, I'll be linking to that and also to their Instagram because they have just really, uh, really cool photos. So both of those links will be on the, the podcast episode page. So yeah, Corey, let's go right into it with the experience with Kiva. So my first mm-hmm. question is, what was your situation like when Elixir Kombucha looked for a Kiva loan? Okay. So earlier this year, January of 2016, we were still a homebrew and um, had an opportunity to provide a local juice bar with our kombucha. We weren't commercial at that point, but they were interested in seeing if their customers were were into into our flavors. And we knew we had to go through all of the legalities of turning the homebrew into a commercial operation. Didn't really know exactly where to start. We found our way to a kitchen incubator in downtown Louisville called Chef Space. And so, you know, there's a monthly membership there and packaging and labels and bottles and all of that. They started adding up. And um, this is our, our first business venture. Never done this before. And we caught wind through a friend of this program called Kiva, the Kiva Zip program. And basically, one, two, three, five thousand dollar micro loans at zero percent interest. And when we heard that, we thought there's no way there's got to be got to be something there that they're not telling us. And we had heard that there was a place in downtown Louisville called Honest Home. They got their start with a Kiva Zip. We figured, hey, let's just walk in there, introduce ourselves and pick her brain. Her name is Sandra, Honest Home. It's on East Market Street in downtown Louisville. Pick her brain about this Kiva Zip program. Is it all that it's cracked up to be? 
And after five minutes talking with her, we were totally convinced. I mean, it's, it's just, it was so simple. The way, the way that they tell you that it is, is exactly how, how it is. It's been totally awesome. Amazing. So we sign up. Yeah. Yeah. So we sign up for a loan and in order to get this loan funded, because it's kind of, it's kind of like a crowdfunding, similar to crowdfunding. Uh, but in order to get our loan approved, we donate to another small business that's on the Kiva Zip program. And uh, so we chose a business, sent $50 their way. Our loan gets approved. And then we so have Corey, to that's show- interesting. It. I did not know that, that you have to, in order to get approved, you have to show that you're willing to loan to another small business, small startup. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah, I like that uh, exactly. show of commitment. Yeah, man. So, um, so we loan to another small business. And then we go through a period of, of, I think it was 90 days, it was either 60 or 90 days, where we reached out to friends and family. We needed to get 20 people to donate money to us to show that we have a nice support system around us, some people that believe in what we're doing. And so we went out and it wasn't hard to get some friends and family to, to throw a little bit of cash our way. As a loan, they know that they're going to get their $25 or $50 back eventually, um, but it's just a way to show Kiva that we have the support around us to help us succeed. So we did that. Our loan gets approved, and it goes site-wide. I'm talking like you know, thousands and thousands of people are able to view our profile, you know, see what our business is about, what we're trying to do, what our goals are, and how much money we need to, to achieve these goals – and, you know, exactly how we're going to be spending our loan down to, you know, down to the, you know, within 10 or $15. I mean, so we applied for 5000 and we were fully funded before, gosh, I think we were fully funded like 15 days before our, you know, um, period, the period ended, our funding period ended. So, I mean, we were jumping up and down and high-fiving each other, like realizing that this is actually, you know, this is actually going to happen. We're actually going to turn our kombucha homebrew into a commercial operation. So we hit the ground running. And that's man. amazing because this, yeah, you hit the ground running and this all happened this year in 2016. Yeah. So that was January. We got the, the offer from the juice bar, March, we applied for the Kiva and April, we moved into chef space and it's just been a whirlwind since then. I love how fast it moves. That's great. And so Corey, I guess to finish up, you know, so that was in April. We're in October. I can't believe the year's almost ending. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, so we're in the 10th month of the year here. Like, how are things now? And do you plan on looking for more investment in the future? Right. So the way Kiva works is after you pay your initial loan off, um, you can apply for a, a larger loan the next time. So we are making monthly installments toward our $5,000 loan. And if things go well, we're actually able at this point to pay a little bit more than what our monthly installments are. So we're going to be able to pay this loan back faster than um, what our two-year agreement says. So yeah, uh, after we get this thing paid off, we're able to apply for the next level up. And we're just hoping it goes as smoothly as the first time because this has just been, it's been incredible. You know, a way for us to get our foot in the door to get this business rolling without having to go into in an insane amount of debt personally. It's, it's been awesome. We love it. That's amazing. And, uh, Corey, well, this is going to be a fun company to follow and please make sure on your next crowdfunding, whether it's Kiva or anywhere else to let me know so I can send it out to my listeners and tweet it and all that good stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much.
Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, find us online at foodstartupspodcast.com.